listeners. Welcome to Grief Out Loud. Remember the last time you tried to talk about grief and suddenly everybody left the room? Grief Out Loud is opening up this often avoided conversation because grief is hard enough without having to go through it alone. We bring you a mix of personal stories, tips for supporting children, teens, and yourself, and interviews with professionals in the grief world. Platitude and cliche-free, we promise. Grief Out Loud is hosted by me, Jana DeCristofero, and produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. Hey everyone, it's the Monday after a holiday weekend here in the States. How are you all doing? For those who celebrate Thanksgiving, we just navigated a really strange one, filled with virtual dinners and calculated risk of time together. For others, this last week was a reminder and a marker of collective grief. Starting in 1970, on the fourth Thursday of November, Native Americans have gathered on Coles Hill in Plymouth to honor a national day of mourning. For many, Thanksgiving Day is a reminder of the genocide, oppression, and land theft that began with the Pilgrims' arrival in Plymouth and continues to unfold in the current day. Thanksgiving week is complicated, and especially for those who are grieving. In addition to the emphasis on family togetherness, there's the call to root ourselves in gratitude, to list and articulate all that we're grateful for. Well, and this is no surprise to you all, when you're grieving, that can be a tough ask. For Allison Height, confronting this question, how do I be grateful in grief, ended up sparking a community effort called Never Ever Give Up. Allison's mom died in a traffic accident a few years ago when Allison was in her mid-20s. The grief was overwhelming, and she really didn't talk about it with anyone. Then, one night, she got up on stage and told a whole group of strangers about her mom, about her grief, about the shame that she carried. After that public reveal, Allison went on to create Never Ever Give Up, which is a lot of things, but at its core, it's a community conversation that asks, what is the hardest thing you've ever done? People write letters of struggle, and then other people respond with letters of hope. What started as a public art installation in Cleveland has grown into a book, a website, and also a podcast. There's even a big yellow mailbox that Allison will tell you all about in our interview. Allison, I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Thanks for joining me on Grief Out Loud today. Thank you so much for having me. So let's start at the beginning. Tell us a little bit about the origin story of Never Ever Give Up. Sure. About two and a half years ago, I decided I would go to an open mic night. (laughs) I decided I would go to the open mic night because I was really struggling with the grief of losing my mom. I hadn't really talked about it that much. Um, I was really scared to talk about it. Uh, I thought I would bum people out. I had had some pretty bad interactions when I did try to talk about it. That kind of scared me even more. And I really just wanted to be normal and I wanted to talk about other things, but I couldn't, I really couldn't. And I, and I tried as hard as I could to ignore it uh, and shove it down and appear as, as fine as I could, but that's not how grief works. It's not how pain works. You know, it, it consumed me so much that I 
I sort of, you know, broke in a lot of ways. And one of those was I, I, I snapped and I just, I had to tell people. I told people, you know, in some forms that were very sort of aggressive and, and barking. And then in, in other ways, I wanted to shout it as hard as I could. And so the open mic night was, the theme was gratitude. And so I wrote sort of a story about how grief makes it impossible for me to feel gratitude. And I really wish I could feel gratitude because I think that that would be the elixir. But uh, I, I really couldn't feel gratitude. So I went to the open mic. I put my name in the bucket. I was the first one there. I got on stage and I said the whole story. I, I said everything that was going on with me. Um, a lot of secrets that I hadn't told anybody ever. I told to a room about 90 strangers. And I sat back down and I remember the people who were at my table just sort of staring at me, sort of looking around to see if anybody was there with me. At the end of the night, I just was about to grab my coat and, and leave. And there were 10 to 12 people who had lined up to talk to me and uh, just sort of went through them one by one. Some hugged me. Some, some one woman started crying with me and talking about her mom. Some people just thanked me, just very, like a very sincere thank you for sharing. Uh, another woman talked to me about losing her stepfather. And I made friends that night that I actually still have today. And that night really changed a lot for me. And, and I just thought, I want to create this opportunity for as many people as I can. Not everybody can go to an open mic night. Not everybody wants to attach their name or their face to their hardest moments. But everybody needs to have that opportunity available to themselves uh, for whenever, whenever it strikes. And so that's how Never Ever Give Up started. The project is an exchange of uh, stories of struggle, which is people's hardest moments, um, and letters of hope, which are the responses written back to the original storyteller. I, I love that you went from not really talking about your mom's death or your pain or your grief with anybody, except for maybe barking it out at a few people, to getting on stage and telling a large group, a large audience of strangers well, I think that sometimes strangers are a, a little bit easier to tell than people that we know, because when we tell people that we know, we have expectations um, about what their response should be or how they should make us feel. And when they can't that for whatever reason, we feel let down and our expectations are, are busted. But with strangers, there's really no expectation. And so anything that happens is really remarkable or wonderful. Um, I don't know how many times I've told strangers now about my mom and I've had really amazing interactions. And I'm so grateful that I, that I told them. And, and still sometimes when I talk to people that I know, it feels like I'm not being heard or something like that. And I think that's just because we have assumptions about the people that we know and how they should respond to us when we're in pain. So I think it makes sense that I, that I just, I wanted to tell strangers first. <laughs> Almost this idea that 
while strangers might give us more space and grace, we also give strangers more space and grace in their responses because we have no idea what to expect from them. So whatever they offer, not whatever, because there's lots of things people offer, not helpful, but there's maybe more um, bandwidth for them to respond in ways because we don't have a history around them missing us or misunderstanding us. Sounds like that's a little what you're talking about. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Yeah, that we, we, give, we give them more grace too. So I know at this point, never ever give up is this exchange of, of letters of people writing stories of hope and people writing stories of pain and of grief. And at some point, though, there was a public art installation, right? Can you talk a little bit about that? Right. So after the open mic night, I had this idea to start the, the exchange of the stories and the letters. But what I really wanted was a, a physical place where people could go uh, the stories and letters lived on social media and online, but I wanted to be able to gather with other people. Early on in, in my grief, I, I felt like I had nowhere to go, nowhere to meet up, um, nowhere to find. Like, where do you find the other people that are in pain <laughs> uh, that want to talk about it and not want to drown it out or forget about it? And so I wanted to to create this public art installation it, it still exists. It rotates around Northeast Ohio to different locations. The original installation included a five foot tall giant yellow mailbox um, that collected these letters of hope. And it was surrounded by about 130 stories of struggle from people in Northeast Ohio. And all of the stories answered the question, what is the hardest thing you've ever had to do? And we had um, submissions from all different ages and they're all anonymous. And so you can't really place exactly who the storyteller is, but sometimes they identify themselves in the story or you can piece things together by, by what they share. It's rotated around this past summer. We had it out, the big yellow mailbox was out and about so that uh, we could collect letters of hope uh, regarding the pandemic. You mentioned that the theme of the open mic night that you went to was gratitude and, and how hard it was to think about being grateful for anything when you were, you know, facing the grief of your mom's death and where it's Monday, it's the week of Thanksgiving, like gratitude is everywhere in the air. And we're coming to the end of November, people posting gratitude, gratitude, like, what's your relationship with that idea of being grateful now? Right, I think gratitude is, I feel like people say this a lot, but gratitude is like a verb in many ways, like you have to, you have to do it. <laughs> um, it doesn't just happen and, and you're not always doing it uh, unless you, you really want to engage with it. It was so hard to be grateful in the immediate aftermath because I was so shattered. And I think that as I've been able to sort of, uh, you know, piece things together more and, and think, think about what happened, the clouds sort of clear a little bit and, and things things become visible. And I think one of those things is all of my gratitude for my mom. One of the most profound things that I came to recognize was that I know what love is be because of my mom and that there are so many people who have family structures that I you know used to get jealous of or used to believe that are these perfect perfect things and these perfect lives that don't know what love is and that I will actually be spending the rest of my life paying my dues for having 26 years with this woman. 
and that I'm so grateful for that. And so gratitude comes a lot easier when that is my premise, because that was, that was a hard place for me to get to, but, but I, I really live there now. I'm, I'm very grateful for my mom. And so your mom is really the origin of the origin story of never, ever give up. And, you know, you've mentioned that she w- did this phenomenal job of, of showing and demonstrating to you, like, what does it mean to love and be loved? And, and how else do you describe her as a mom? Yeah, my mom was, I, I think the other thing that grief has taught me is I had a unique relationship with my mom. I think she was a, a specific type of mom. And, and sometimes when I talk to other people and they share stories, you know, it's, I'm like, oh, that my mom didn't do that. But I, I like the way my mom was a mom. <laughs> <laughs> now I really want to hear what kind of mom was she? <laughs> well, she was, as a mom, she made everything possible, right? I was never scared of the world. I was never concerned because she was this um, rock, completely invincible, so smart, so quick. You know, she, she absorbed so much so that I could live a life of privilege and opportunity and fearlessness. You know, for a while there, I, I lived in something like 13 apartments in like eight years in three different countries. And I just <laughs> did all of that, right? Because I had this rock the safety net um, that made all of that possible. She, she was tough, <laughs> um, but she was tough because she cared. You know, she wasn't here to make friends with your kids. You know, she was here to be your mom. And, and that's, that's a specific type of love, I think. But the thing that I really, really find amazing about her is that she lived her life in a way where she was so much more than a mom. She was this whole human doing all of these other things, right? She was this, she was vice president of the company. You know, she had this amazing career. She engaged in all of these activities, all of these friends. Um, and no matter what friend group or social group she was with, she was always herself, which I always found remarkable, right? She never really molded herself to where she was, she presented Lisa always. And I I loved that about her. She wasn't going to let anyone sort of dictate what she was going to do or what she wasn't going to do. I saw that and that's how I want to live my life too, right? I want to be a whole human who has all of these things. I'm starting to get a little picture of where you may have uh, received the wherewithal to get up on a stage in front of a group <laughs> of strangers and, and talk openly about your pain and, and some of the, the pieces that you were carrying. So Allison, I know you mentioned that, you know, it was hard at first to find people who could be there for you in your grief. And, and you know, over the last few years, what and who did you turn to for support? Yeah, I think it changed. It changed over time. Who, who and, and what I turned to. Initially, I turned right to my siblings, of course. I have a brother and a sister, um, but very quickly realized that, oh, they too just lost their mom. And then, you know, in, in, in some ways I turned to my mom. So, you know, she, she wasn't physically there, but I, that, that was my reflex, right? Whenever I had a question or whenever I was dealing with anything hard, I called my mom. I talked to my mom about it. And so I sort of just kept doing that. And that looked like, you know, reading, reading the books on her shelf and, and going through the, the words that she had underlined and the passages that she had earmarked. 
and talking to her friends about uh, her experiences and, and, you know, trying to prolong her life as much as I could by getting new information about her. I think then, then later on, I, I turned to nature reflecting on it. You know, it's like I wanted my, my mother. So I went to the mother, mother nature. I took a train ride across the country and I went to Hawaii and I, and I backpacked the Kalalau trail um, and I camped out, just kind of got angry, angry out of the Pacific ocean. Um, and I run a lot. And so I, I would run, I would run trails through the woods too. But then also, you know, I was, was totally human and I drank a lot of cheap wine and I got really drunk a lot uh, and very sad because I was, I felt very alone. My, my siblings had partners at the time, recently married and I didn't. And I felt like I, you know, I didn't have a person to hug. I didn't have a person to lean on. I didn't have anyone that had committed themselves to, to be in my life. Uh, like that. And, and that sort of compounded my loneliness. So I think about, you know, it was about a, over a year after she died, I still didn't have anyone that I was really turning to, you know, besides myself, which, you know, some days I was able to, to find solutions within myself. And then other days I was an enemy to myself. I was, I was not helpful. <laughs> About a year and a half, I think right before I actually went to the open mic night, uh, I called an, an old friend of mine because I was, I was at the point then that I really wasn't sure if I wanted to be alive. And I hadn't talked to him in a really long time, but I knew that he had a lot of, a lot of pain in his life and was, you know, at that time, I think like 10 years sober. So I called him and I think he didn't even know that my mom had died. He must have, you know, recognized how bad it was because he he started calling me every night. He he, you know, still to this day is one of my best friends, and I'm very grateful that he took that time because he helped me realize a lot of things. Right? He helped me realize that like no one was coming to save me, uh, and I fought him on that a lot. But, <laughs> but you know, I knew he was right in a lot of ways. Right? I had to learn how to mother myself. I had to do this work that I didn't want to do. And so I sort of made a list of things that I would, I would try to do. And, and one of those things was to share something publicly that I wrote. And, you know, that, that collided a lot with the, the open mic night. And then, you know, later on, I, I joined the dinner party, which is a national nonprofit uh, for people in their twenties and thirties who have experienced loss. Um, and I host the dinners in, in Cleveland. And then I, created Never Ever Give Up. And, and both of those groups have turned me on to so many people who I connect with and, and talk to openly about grief and pain. And now I feel like I have a, a team, you know, I have assembled my, my <laughs> team um, and I'm very grateful to have such a, such a group of people in my life that I feel like I can call and, and talk to about, about really hard moments. So one of the things that struck me about Never Ever Give Up is that there's these stories of struggle and these stories of hope. And it made me think about how oftentimes in grief, especially early on, we're in this place of only being able to receive support. Like we do not have the capacity to be providing support. And that over time in our grief, sometimes there can be this shift of like, oh, by 
by being present with others and sharing my story, I am in a place where I'm ready to offer support. And and wondering, like, was there a parallel for you in your own grief? Yeah, I think the I think the open mic sort of opened a little bit of that feeling for me. Seeing the people's reaction to my story, right? It, it is, you know, I was convinced that talking about those things would make me feel weak, would make other people think I was weak. You know, I was just so consumed by shame. And for people to come up to me afterwards and, and thank me and t- tell me that I'm <laughs> that I'm strong, you know, it it was really shocking for me in a lot of ways because it turned my whole thought process upside down. And it seems so obvious now, like, of course, right? Like how, how much I struggled, you know, how, how horrible would it be if my, if my mom died in a traffic accident and I just carried on, right? That's what's tragic. But at the time I, I really couldn't see it. But I think it was later on when I started to, to, to sort of do a little bit better, I started to take care of myself more. I was getting a little angry because I wanted, I wanted like a trophy. I wanted some sort of reward for, for doing it, you know, no, whether or not I, I showered at home or whether or not I was like laying on the floor at home, like no one knew, you know? So if I, if I got up every day and I showered and like, you know, I, I went for a run after work, you know, no one knew that either. It was frustrating for me. It seems silly to want a trophy, but I did. I wanted some sort of like sign that like this was worth it because it was really hard to do. I realized that the trophy that you get (laughs) for doing all the hard work that you don't want to do and is really hard is to turn around and extend the hand back and reach out to somebody who, who is, you know, where you were a year ago or two years ago and to have a conversation with them. And you can't do that if you don't do the work, you know, you can't do that if you don't take care of yourself and, and, and do the things that are really, really hard. And so talking about being able to like write someone a letter of hope, it's such a reward. It's such a reward to be able to put your time and energy into trying to, to think of words that encourage someone else to keep going I think you're totally right that like there is this point in time, you know, hopefully in your grief where, where you get to get to do that and extend the hand back. I keep going back Allison to the, the question that kind of was the, the origination of this project. What's the hardest thing you've ever had to do. And I think about how that, the answer to that question is changing for people all the time because they may have done their hardest thing and then, Oh, here's the new (laughs) hardest thing to have to do. And so wondering for you, you know, as you look back over this last almost a year since the COVID-19 pandemic made its way to our, to the U S to our country, what would you say is the hardest thing you've had to do in the last eight to nine months? I think that, um, you know, on my good days, I operate from this premise that no matter what happens to me, I can make a beautiful life for myself. You know, and on my good days, I really believe that and I'm there. Um, but on my bad days, I'm, I'm not there. And I, and I don't think that I can do that. Uh, and I sort of get consumed by by the things around me that are that are making me believe that that's impossible, um, that I don't have that that strength, that I don't have the solutions within myself. And so I think that the pandemic challenges that in so many ways. It 
questions and has so much ambiguity and makes you feel like, can I really do that? Can I really create a beautiful life for myself? And so I think it's just been having to, to really dig in and do a lot more work to build that feeling up within myself so that it is really where I'm operating from the majority of my days. I think that work has been, has been really challenging because I feel like there's so many things that have happened that are, that are outside of, outside of my control. There's a quote that my mom had in, in one of her journals that said it was something like, you know, run your life or, or, you know, run your life. Don't let it run you. And, and I think that that's been, that's been my motto for, for the last four years. And, and that's a hard motto to have in, in a pandemic. Um, <laughs> and so I think just finding ways to, to keep that going has been hard work. Thank you for articulating that. I, as you were talking, I was thinking about, you know, how if you're in the car and you're driving and you have some sort of GPS device, whether it's your phone or your whatever it is that you've got, and you like make a turn that the computer didn't want you to make. And then it says recalculating, recalculating, <laughs> recalculating until it helps you find a way to go after you took that wrong turn. And yeah, that idea of like, you know, don't let your life run you, you run your life, except right now we're all having to recalculate, recalculate, recalculate. And sometimes it's just enough to keep up. So I just appreciate you really articulating that and the idea that like we have our good days, and we have our bad days. And even we've committed to a life motto, we might not always be able to live up to that motto in our grief or in other ways on, on the days when things are harder. And then that's okay. There'll be another day where maybe we can fully embody that motto again. What What's next for Never Ever Give Up? What would listeners be able to connect with you around in terms of the project? Right. So um, Never Ever Give Up is still always collecting stories of struggle and letters of hope. If you want to write a story from your own life or if you want to write someone else a letter of hope, you can just visit our website, uh, which is nevereverviveupcle.com. The big yellow mailbox is in hibernation for the winter in in (laughs) Cleveland, Um, but we'll be back out around town next year, hopefully in into a new neighborhood. Um, so if people are coming to Cleveland, they can they can come and see the big yellow mailbox. We also have a book. The book is a compilation of about 150 submissions. All profits from the book go to support local mental health organizations. Um, and you can you can learn more about the book on our website. Finally, we also have a podcast that has local community volunteers reading the stories and the letters, bringing these exchanges, you know, to life in in a whole new way. The podcast episodes have different themes and people can can tune into that too. It's really pretty inspiring. Just everything that's grown out of you getting up on a stage and telling your story of grief to a bunch of strangers of the book and the public art installation, the revolving yellow mailbox, the podcast. It's just, it's pretty amazing. So I'm, I'm grateful that all of this is out there for people to connect with and to find those ways of feeling um, a sense of community. And like you said, this decreasing of shame by being able to tell their story and then receive the idea of a story of hope as well. So I'm just, I'm grateful for all the work that you've put into this. Well, that's very kind. I, um, yeah, I think that the, the goal is just to, if the weight is too heavy on your shoulders, you know, and and you need to get something out that you can just grab a a piece of paper and a pen and write it down and and send it (laughs) to us and and somebody will read it. Right. And And you'll probably get a response. 
I think that just knowing that that's available for people is big because not everybody has, you know, someone to, to talk to about it. Listeners, I'll put in the show notes all the ways to connect with Allison and never, ever give up. And Allison, before we sign out, I'm going to sneak in one last question for you because we are recording the week of Thanksgiving and that's going to roll us right into the December holidays. And everyone's asking like, how do I do grief in the holidays? How do I do grief in the holidays? So what's your plan this year? How are you going to do the holidays and grief and the pandemic? So this will be my, my fourth try. <laughs> um, you know, you only, you only get these annual holidays every year, obviously. But, you know, the first, the first few were big swings and misses for me. And I, I found that one thing that helps is, for, for me, you know, is to have a plan, but not hold myself to that plan if I, you know, day of need something else. But the, the times when I don't have a plan in place, you know, on the day, I sort of become overwhelmed that I'm, I'm not sure what to do. But when I have a plan, I feel comfortable because, you know, the days leading up to, to major holidays can be sometimes harder than the actual day because there's like this impending doom that you believe is coming towards you. One of the things I like to do is try to preserve my mom. I, I like to have decorations or the food or the um, music, the rituals that, you know, were around me when I was with her. That always comforts me and, and makes me feel feel like I'm getting a hug in some ways. And I like that, you know, of course, like crying about it also is, is good. And, and I think that there's a lot of comfort in, in crying there because you know, when I cry about my mom, I, it's because I love her and, and she loved me. And so I think that, I think that that's a good thing. <laughs> but I, I think, you know, another thing I, I've tried to do that will be, you know, another challenge this year or whatever is just to remind myself that this is really hard. This is kind of a, a really cruel thing that's happening. You don't get to spend these moments with the people that you want to spend them with. And that's not really good for a human being. <laughs> um, that that's a hard thing to have to to have to handle, and that it it is unfair, and that it is unfortunate. I I think that just like allowing it to be hard <laughs> is is good too, because it is. And and why sh why should it be this like perfect wonderful thing without your mom, you know, or without your person, or um, you know, even if it is just you know, it has to be over Zoom if you're not grieving, but you're you're grieving that opportunity to be together. I think that that's really hard too to have to be away from your family. I don't know if I have a lot of advice about the holidays. Um, besides that, I think just just be kind to yourself and, and know that it's hard. You know, this is not how humans are supposed to live at all. <laughs> I think that's so helpful, and you know, the idea of having a plan but doing it in pencil so that you can erase it and edit it at the last minute if you need to. A lovely endorsement of crying. <laughs> if you're somebody who is, you know, someone who cries, that crying can be a really a beneficial way to spend some of our time. If nothing else, it's like it is an actual physiological uh, transformation for us. And so there, there can be benefits in doing that. And then, yeah, just the acknowledgement, like this is hard. And if it's not feeling like you want to be doing what you would normally do on the holidays, or if it's just feeling extra overwhelming, 
you're not alone. Like it is hard. And I, yeah, I don't think we can get enough of those reminders. So thank you for letting me sneak that last little holiday question in on you. I really appreciate you um, giving words to what's been helpful for you. And, and that idea that the holidays can be swing and miss in grief and that's okay. It doesn't mean you got anything wrong by doing that. So Allison, thank you again for talking with me today. And I'm really excited to share this conversation with our listeners. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. Um, I hope that I hope that something I offered today is, is helpful to somebody and that the Never Ever Give Up project is, is helpful to somebody too, even if it's just reading through the, the stories and letters on Instagram. And listeners, as always, thank you for tuning in today. We appreciate you showing up, downloading the episode, sharing it with your friends and family, uh, reaching out to me to let me know what you think about the show or the episodes. You can always reach me at griefoutloud at dougie.org. That's D-O-U-G-Y dot O-R-G. Don't forget to go check out Never Ever Give Up. So thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time.